Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and co-host Christian Ubius and Christian Marvel 2021. We're selling out. It's happening. The blend marches on. How are you feeling? Well, we've both seen Eternals, which... We have both seen Eternals. Neither one of us knows what the other thinks about Eternals. We're, we're being careful. We're guarding our thoughts. Nobody's posted on Letterboxd yet, so I can't... I marked it as scene. Ah. <laughs> sneaky, Christian. <laughs> Very sneaky. I... We, we are... and But I think that I can safely say for both of us that people are correct in saying it's kind of a weird movie. Yes. It, it certainly, uh, in, in many respects, weird. In some, in some respects, it's still, it, you know, it's it's Marvel. a Marvel it's conventional, and we'll yeah. get in, we'll get into that. But yeah, a little weird. And let's, but, but you know, Eternals comes next week. Indeed, it does. That's right, folks. You're not getting faked out. We're actually doing our full episode on Eternals a week from today because today. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is hitting Disney Plus ready to be streamed. And so, it is time to discuss the second major Marvel movie of this year. And although we're obviously late to the party, like we were with Black Widow, with it dropping on streaming services, we felt it only makes sense. I mean, we actually didn't feel anything, it was just the stars aligning, so good job by us, Christian. Good job by us. I'm very proud of myself. But, okay... Now, Shang-Chi uh, came out, or, yeah, the second Marvel movie of the year. We're getting two more, or we, we have three now. We're getting one more. <laughs> we got the third. We got the third. And it's even interesting looking at Shang-Chi because it seems to be the major crowd pleaser of the year. Uh, I don't know what your takes on that. I'm not talking about my own personal thoughts. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's been, this has been an interesting year for Marvel, and I'm looking forward to reflecting on on this year in Marvel so far once we talk Eternals, but obviously if you're following along and you care about these things, you know that Eternals was received pretty lukewarmly. I wouldn't say... I think polarizing yeah. is a better word. I yeah. don't think anyone's lukewarm on Eternals. Yeah, I mean, there, it's, it's you know, the first MC movie to go rotten on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever, but lower on Metacritic as well. And so Eternals has a, an interesting reception that I'm looking but forward to unpacking. But with an 80, what was it, 88% audience score? Yeah, and that tends to happen with these things, <laughs> which is why Rotten Tomatoes is a flawed metric. But we'll, we'll get into that. Black Widow, as we know, had its fans, people who loved Scarlett Johansson and the character, but also its detractors. And so although Shang-Chi had plenty of detractors as well, at this point, MCU is is too big to not have critics. It definitely does seem to be the one that people have been most positive about in general. And even if it's mild positive, there's still more mildly positive feelings about Shang-Chi and many more celebrators uh, than Black Widow and Eternals, it seems. Eternals especially. So... Given that, let's go into some background information for Shang-Chi. Now, I feel like the information for Shang-Chi is kind of weird in that it it starts off... Let me just give the plot. We don't need to talk about the Marvel character itself, though that's going to come up later on when when we discuss even Asian representation in cinema. However, uh, we have Simu Liu being cast as Shang-Chi. Uh, and in this movie, he is a boy who grew up under the organization of the Ten Rings. Um, basically trained from a very young age, from the moment his mother died, 
His dad took him, trained him as a master warrior. And his father, of course, Wen Wu, has been leading the Ten Rings for thousands of years, as the Ten Rings themselves have given him immortality. Yes. And as he... He is currently residing in the Bay Area, right? San Jose? San Francisco. San Francisco. He's in San Francisco, working as a valet. He is very... He's a very ripped dude. (laughs) And around his neck, he has a necklace that contains information on about his mother's past, I think is one of the best ways to say that. Basically, agents from the Ten Rings, whom he left a while ago, he escaped them, come, steal that ring away, and he is now forced to go on a mission alongside his best friend to find his sister and see why his mother's past is being brought up. Did I get the major plot points? I, I, I do believe so. Of course, there there is also worth mentioning that the he starts to look for this mystical land that his father once searched for as well called Talo. And it's where his mother was from and he believes that there are answers waiting in Talo. And so he and Katie, his friend, go to find his sister, hope to get her and go to Talo. Wonderful. So let's talk about the writers and the directors. Uh, written, well, co-written and directed by Destin Daniel Cretton, who is has made several other movies that some people may have heard of. He wrote and directed Just Mercy. He also wrote and directed Short Term 12, which is a wonderful movie starring Brie Larson. It's been on my watch list for a long time, not just because it's a very well-liked and loved movie, but also the pe- the cast in that movie is off the chain. <laughs> like, just so many people who are now famous appeared in it, or people that you might even, maybe they're not famous, but you recognize them. People like Brie Larson, John Gallagher Jr., Lakeith Stanfield, who is someone who I adore, and the, the list, Rami Malek, the list goes on so definitely one that i want to see soon and his co-writers on this movie are dave callaham and andrew lanham and this is for people who are familiar with Destin daniel's work he mainly works in drama this is not at all like what he has done before like many directors before him marvel did pluck him out of some of these smaller movies and set him on a big stage which just Mercy, you know, working with the movie star in Michael B. Jordan, who had been in the MCU, you know, definitely a bigger movie, but still, quieter, serious, issues-based drama, not a giant action movie that he was now set to shepherd for Marvel. So, I am I'm excited. I know what your thoughts were on this movie originally, and you know what my thoughts were on this movie originally. Now, we are, um, we're going off the cranium. We have not been able to rewatch this movie. Correct. So, y'all, you are getting some half-baked criticism right here. Christian, you're not supposed to tell them that. Now they think this episode is going to suck, but I'm going to tell you, listeners, it's going to be great. (laughs) But it will be a different perspective, because, of course, Black Widow, Christian, you had seen four times, I think, before we recorded. I was able to rewatch before, because it was on Disney Plus free to subscribers, and so I was disappointed that Shang-Chi was not available before we were recording, but it's exciting that it is dropping, of course, when this episode comes out, and who knows, maybe I'll give it a second watch after the episode comes out and see if I regret my takes. Well, I mean, it's kind of, do you, how has something, it's an interesting view of 
has something matured in your mind well or soiled itself? Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I'm excited to get into that because your feelings on a movie can and and often, actually, I was going to say should, but maybe not should, but your feelings about a movie can change over time just how you think about it. And there are movies that I have grown to love more without watching them again just because I remember the feelings I had for them. Or maybe I was someone who loved a movie and not many others did, and so I feel particularly defensive over it. A movie like Ad Astra... <laughs> That had a lot of detractors who thought it was dumb Brad Pitt daddy issues in space movie, but I loved it and was incredibly moved by it. And I feel like I love it even more because of that love. It was, you know, placed in opposition to all the hate. So it is fun to reflect on movies and, and share your opinions because, of course, they can change like it did for me with Black Widow. But in many ways, I'm looking forward to talking about Shang-Chi, which should probably give you an indication on how I've thought about this movie since it came out. So with that, let's go into fun facts. I'm starting. <laughs> okay, Christian, you can start. Cool. Uh, Simu Liu was, uh, be- before working as an actor here in Marvel, had several different scenes as part of the stunt team, or had worked in stunts in Canada, grew up in Canada, and had also been part of the sitcom I'm currently watching called Kim's Convenience, which I have to tell you is just wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy about it. It's on Netflix. All the seasons are there. It's a great Korean-American sitcom. Korean-Canadian, right? Korean-Canadian sitcom. Yes, that's correct. (laughs) (laughs) Highly recommend it. You go. I have been wanting to watch Kim's Convenience for some time, so I'll throw it on the old watch list. Something that I found enjoyable about this movie. So, uh, Chung-Chi's sister is Xia Ling, and she is played by an actress making her debut in film. Not, obviously, her debut performance ever, but debut in film, Meng-Er Zhang. And she actually met somebody by the name of Young Lee while she was working on this movie. And not only did they start dating after meeting on set of the movie, by the time the movie wrapped, they were already married. (laughs) (laughs) So they fell for each other fast and hard. And to celebrate, Simu Lu took everyone to Disneyland and Aquafina took everybody to karaoke. So (laughs) I I just love that. I, I think you get a sense watching this movie that the cast was very close at least um you know that that central trio there they you can tell that they have some good chemistry so that's just i don't know i thought that was sweet all right now my second one goes into we'll probably discuss later the original shang chi's original father in the comics was this man by the name of fu manchu who is one of the it's weird it is one of the most racist depictions of asian stereotypes had his own movies had um runs in the comics and marvel realized let's retcon this character put in a new one and instead say that when wu used the alias of Chu while being an organizer for the ten rings now i my dad grew up watching the Sema Fu Manchu's movies. Uh, and and I even beforehand, the whole stereotype, and honestly, not just stereotyping and racism, but also this was some of the first, this was some of the origins of um, any Asian representation on cinema. Or we should say in American cinema, in Hollywood in, cinema. In American cinema, yeah. yes. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Th- which is interesting in how we're supposed to take the legacy of the character now. Yeah, I, th- I think that's one of the strengths of Shang-Chi. We'll get into the representation, I'm sure. But yeah, definitely good to change the origins of the Mandarin, of, of Wen Wu, definitely uh, superior to the Fu Manchu character, who is extremely outdated. 
And lastly, just a fun box office fact. This movie was obviously a huge success at the global box office. And you might recall reading around the time that it actually beat the four-day Labor Day weekend record and did it in a pandemic. So <laughs> this movie, or Shang-Chi, was able to pull in over $94 million at the U.S. box office over that weekend, which crushed uh, the previous record, which, according to IMDb trivia, was Halloween, uh, the 2007 Halloween remake. So 2007. Yes, the okay. Rob Zombie remake. Sure. <laughs> so I, I I Labor Day is a big time for movies and so I'm I'm surprised that the record was that old but Shang-Chi is probably going to hold it for a long time and it did it during a pandemic. So kudos to you Dustin Daniel Cretton and team. Scott, you 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 ready to start? Oh, I'm ready, Christian. Cool. Hit me with that opening question. Now Marvel has been criticized for many things. And one of them is its explosive use of CGI in various different scenes. There is a ton of CGI in Shang-Chi. Dragons. <laughs> Dragons and animals and other demon-like beasts. <laughs> Dragons. <laughs> well, dragons aren't real, Scott. Wait, what? There we go. Now, Say I... It so. I wanted to ask you this. Something that Marvel has not only been criticized for, but also praised for, it's its integration of CGI with action. Shang-Chi is a very fast-paced action movie. And I wanted to ask, how did that integration work for you? Does it hold up in your memory, or does it not hold up at all? That is a, that's a good place to start, because I think some of the negative aspects to Shang-Chi come from the CGI and Marvel is often criticized and I would argue rightly so for their just boring heavy on the CGI endings where you know it is actors in front of a green screen or just CGI representations of those actors up against villains or forces that don't feel real and that unfortunately is one aspect of the finale of Shang-Chi that does not work didn't work for me and it's something that I kind of look back on sourly but I think throughout that the the actual CGI that is building or that is helping the movie along is actually pretty solid as far as Marvel movies go and I think you get it's kind of an extension in many ways of the way of the way that CGI has been used to create characters like Rocket Raccoon or Groot from Guardians of the Galaxy now you have a, a soon to be Christmas toy of the year i'm sure morris in this movie who's this little eyeless creature <laughs> that is hilarious and cute and i'm sure every kid's gonna want one for christmas you know and you get some excellent set pieces like the there's a moment where they do come across talo and they have to race through this forest where the trees are moving and and that that scene is well done and the cgi there i think is handled pretty well and the ten rings themselves of course are used as a weapon and inter they're integrated very well into the action when they do show up Plus, you get all the normal CGI stuff, like the ways that, obviously, Marvel shoots a lot on digital backlots. And so, just creating these good scenes where you can, we know part of it is CGI, but, of course, it's integrated well and it looks real. And I think, in general, the action is just really well done in this movie. And it's actually some of the best action in the entire MCU. And so, in general, I think that the CGI is mostly well integrated. Ending? Not so much. But along the, along the way, for the rest of it, I actually think it's pretty well done. Okay. So... Overall, you're a fan of the action in this movie. I definitely want to spend some more time talking about it, but because I don't want to keep monologuing, yes. Okay. Because <laughs> looking back on it, sad. I mean, I like this movie. I like it more than just a general movie, and and I, I like it a lot. 
that being said, when I when I think back, the the ending and the CGI-ness of it and the the CGI as it spread throughout is is not what I look back fondly on. And sadly, since so much time is spent there, that is where I'm kind of hesitant. And I mean, through the movie spending so much time there, that's what comes to mind first before almost any other scenes. With, with CGI specifically? Because I guess the I... The dragons. When you have these giant dragons in headlock battle... <laughs> And the demon creatures going after people, and it's th- the colors are, are like too much. <laughs> colors are too much. Not something that's normally a criticism for Marvel, whose movies always look beige and gray. I'm, I guess, I'm surprised that in asking a question about CGI, you land on specifically the ending because I mean, this is going to be a spoilery conversation. Y'all have had time to see Shang Chi, and if not, it's on Disney Plus right now, so go watch it. But of course, we do get to Talo, and whilst there, the Great Protector, who is the dragon protecting Talo from this evil force, the Dweller in Darkness, those two creatures, of course, return to life and start fighting, and that stuff is pretty boring. But I'm surprised that you that you look back on all of the use of CGI in this movie, mostly because Marvel like is filled with it, thank you. <laughs> I like that the trees are cool. But I thought your question was about CGI in the movie, and not just with the ending. Okay. Sure, sure. Now, I feel like because so much of it was in the ending, the ending is what sticks out to me. That being said, uh, the titular rings themselves, I'm not a fan of how they CGI'd it. Oh, interesting. They look to me... Have you ever seen Sonic the Hedgehog? <laughs> the movie? Or played the video game or watched the TV <laughs> I have show? seen the movie. When, I have not played too much Sonic in my rings life, but... <laughs> are rolling around, I keep thinking, jump through it. <laughs> You'll, you'll capture it! I thought you just wanted, like, you collect rings in Sonic. <laughs> you can Not in the movie. Through. No, 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 in the movie they changed Ah, uh, yes, of course. We transport ourselves with rings. How could I forget? Yes, 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 yes. Much more Sonic the Hedgehog talk than I thought we were going to get on this episode. <laughs> but let's, let me digress. We've talked a little bit about the CGI. Let's talk about the action scenes. There is legitimately one thing that comes to mind when I think about action, and that is the bus scene at the beginning. Shang-Chi and his friend, I don't know what his friend's name is, but she's played by Aquafina. Katie, she's played by Aquafina. Katie, played by Aquafina, of course. (laughs) They are on this bus, and that's where the the do-bad people of the Ten Rings are there wanting to get his necklace. Christian bearing the lead, that razor fist from the Ten Rings, (laughs) whose arm is a sword, has come for Shang-Chi. You have the do-bad people. (laughs) They are there, and we have this extended like 10 minute scene of Simu just going to town on these people uh, making the bus like Katie taking over the bus driving and we're going all around San Francisco and I think that this is one where our friend Keenan Culler said he was shadow boxing too I could oh get that gosh. I could get that I could I could get that this scene is amazing and and when I think about it it comes early on in the movie and it just hooks you for the rest of it. it's like fight again fight again be on a bus. Be on a bus. Okay. Uh, speaking of other movies, I, I have not... I know that that one is the particular scene that people have, like, really gone to battle for as the signature set piece in this movie. And weirdly enough, did you see the movie Nobody that came out earlier this year? I saw half of it on a plane. Okay. So, <laughs> maybe I feel too fondly about that movie because it's one of the first movies I, that they I... They have a bus scene! Yes! They have yes. a great bus scene! One of the first movies I saw back in theaters once I was going to theaters and they were open again. But there is a 
incredible fight scene on a bus in that movie and it is not assisted by superpowers it's just uh bob odenkirk going off on some russian teenagers actually they're they're young adults they're not teenagers but that scene it's very different in tone and tenor because it is an r-rated action movie but i feel like in a way i i just wished it was more like that scene because of course the marvel bus scene is is well done it's it's like the i said the action in this movie is great but weirdly enough, I just couldn't stop thinking about nobody while I was watching that particular scene. And I'll tell you, one of my favorite action scenes in this movie is after we go to Macau and we find Xiaoling. She is at a fight club that she's helping to run. Ten Rings show up to capture Shang-Chi and Xiaoling. And they end up getting involved in this fight that is outside of the building. And there's some scaffolding set up and they are swinging through the scaffolding, running across it, trying to keep their balance while fighting off the Ten Rings. And that scene in particular is the one that has stood out to me. It's the one that I reflect on most from watching this movie because it is so well done. And there's other aspects to the action that I want to talk about, but any other action scenes that I'm forgetting or should I keep monologuing? (laughs) Uh, I mean, there's the obvious fight between Abomination and uh, (laughs) Benedict Wong. Yeah, Wong popping in for a quick minute, as well as Tim Roth coming back to the MCU for the first time since Incredible Hulk. He's one of the only... Him and Thunderbolt Ross now are back, which is funny. Wait, did you... Wait, wait, wait. So you said you liked the fight between... No, no, no. We didn't mention the fight between um, Shang-Chi and Shaolin which was beat right after the Abomination fight. Yes, how we find out that she's running the club. It's not just that she's there. Okay, so let's let's let me get a little bit critical and, and and not because i want to but because i i feel like shang chi i noticed this more for some reason i could tell that this was marvel trying to make a good action movie more so than i could sit down and experience it as a good action movie does that make sense i guess so but i think i actually just respect the effort on marvel's part <laughs> Because, and I can I can speak on why I think the action in this movie is so good. It's not just that it, it's... It is good. It's, yeah, it is it's good. like, it's not just that it's fun to look at. I think there's, there are actual filmmaking elements that are well done here. But I want, I want to hear more about what you mean. It's, it's like when, when you, when you hear for the first time that there are people underneath the Disney costumes... And now when you go around, sometimes your thoughts are like, I wonder who's in there. Or <laughs> how hot is it inside that suit? And as I'm watching, even the bus scene, which I really had a good time watching, thinking, okay, cool, so now they're going to soar the music? Yep, music is soaring. Okay, they're probably going to extend this a little bit? Yep. All right, fight's done, so now we're probably going to get a shot of the people in the bus? Yep, that's where it is. It felt almost predictable what they wanted to go to for the fight scene. And as, again, looking back on it, part of it might be that the fight scenes are... I don't think they mesh that well with the drama that's at the core of this story. It is a very intimate family drama, this movie, or, or at the core of it, is supposed to be and holds so much weight, and parts of it do hold weight, but the action to me doesn't go alongside it. It feels like the action is removed from what Shang-Chi must think about his father, how his sister must think about him, and we're just stopping for a fight interlude. I just think that's a bizarre complaint to make about a Marvel movie, where I can't tell you how often the action 
is integrated with the story that's going on because often the i mean in any movie the action typically builds off of plot development and so there are definitely moments in this movie where the drama of the fight is ramped up because of the family drama and specifically the part of the ending that does work is when shang chi has to face his father and that scene is drastically Worked improved well. yeah not just well. because it's well done but because of the the immense amount of work that the movie put into building up their relationship and i mean i'm watching our clock here because i want to make sure we can actually talk about the drama because it's it's not just the action being so well done that it made me like shang chi but i think there are elements too to the the story and the drama that make this a memorable marvel movie for sure what, uh, talk about the drama then what um what's at the core of it for you so i think destin daniel cretton and i heard an interview with um dave callahan so shouts to andrew lanham as well but we're doing some very serious work to reclaim some of the negative asian stereotypes that had been part of you know, portrayals in american culture for many years especially we talked about fu manchu he's you know shang chi was originally his son like shang chi's legacy is with these negative portrayals they're trying to redeem some of that and reframe it and integrate this very I guess Asian American in some ways, as Shang-Chi did move to San Francisco, story into the MCU. And there are elements of the movie that I think have their roots in some Chinese methods of storytelling as well. And I think some of the so much of the action that I find enjoyable is the Wuxia-inspired action. And Wuxia referring to Chinese action movies that are martial arts films, often involve elements of fantasy, they're set way back in the past, and the signature piece, of course, is the performers flying around on wires, fighting each other with these incredible, you know, kicks where they, they literally it's, fly it's, across it's the room. It's ballet-esque. Yes, balletic. Exactly, great word. And you also have the use of flashback, where we are finding out more and more about the family drama at this, at the center of the story, we're finding out more and more as the movie goes on, we're... We're not just, there's not a big long flashback at the beginning and then everything goes on. It is integrated into the movie and the core theme of family is not lost. And that's common for the MCU, but it's very different from the way that, say, Guardians of the Galaxy handles it. Now, I'm not the biggest Guardians of the Galaxy fan. I like this movie more than I like Guardians of the Galaxy. But I will say, even in Guardians of the Galaxy, what I'm getting at is they talk a lot while they're fighting. And it's in that talking that Marvel has within fight scenes, Black Panther also, ton of talking within fight scenes, that I, I've actually gotten that integration of the two. Here, it felt as though two movies were going on, neither of which is a bad movie, but within it, it felt like I was watching cogs trying to work together rather than the clock. I, again, I guess I just don't... Maybe if we had seen it more closely to recording, we could comment on the, the ratio of words to punches. <laughs> but that does seem like a weird complaint to make about a Marvel movie, where, yes, in Guardians, there's they, they quit their way through action scenes, <laughs> that's for sure. But I, I think, too, Even, okay. of his, an action scene that we haven't talked about yet, where sure. Wenwu meets the mother of his children at the beginning of the movie, he finds Talo as part of a flashback, and they have what is probably the most Wuxia-inspired fight scene in the movie. And they are telling a story with the action, with the fight. They they show how this legendary warrior has met his match and found his equal, and of course he literally falls in love with her because of it. And and so that that is where the action tells a story without words, obviously. And otherwise, sure, maybe these these action scenes are a little bit more reserved vocally, but I I don't see how they're disconnected from the story at large. I guess that's just one point where we might have to disagree. Yeah, and that's perfectly because fine. I still like the movie. <laughs> yeah. 
Now, <laughs> there's more to talk about. We shouldn't get hung up there. Now, I will say, I did. I, I want to talk about the Asian representation of this movie because it stars Michelle Yeoh also. And, <laughs> How are we not mention her? Yes, shout out to Michelle Yeoh. You know, I love Michelle Yeoh. I, I mean, from what I have seen her in, first and foremost, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Speaking of Wuxia. Speaking of Wuxia. <laughs> phenomenal movie. She is just an action star. Like, she is someone whom you can depend on to have these great dramatic scenes while also, like, beautifully punching her way through people. <laughs> beautifully punching her way through people. I love it. <laughs> Michelle Yeoh, if you're out there, you should put that on a poster somewhere. And so we have... Like, I mean, great casting, great Asian and Asian American and Asian Canadian, sure, casting. Simulu. Simulu in this movie. But also, there there was one comment that I heard someone say when watching the trailer, and they said, I feel like they're just trying to do Asian Black Panther. And I'm bringing this up because I don't like that comment. <laughs> because there, Marvel is taking a step forward. For whatever reason they may want, I don't think it's necessarily the purest reason that they're trying to integrate a more racially diverse cast into their projects and showcase the talents of different, honestly, creators, not just actors, but writers and directors and cinematographers. Now, it is wonderful to be able to see this exploration of asian culture and i'm saying asian and not chinese because there are other influences at play here within the movie and i wanted to ask how you felt about those for me it wasn't just the fight scenes it was a combination of the fight scenes and also the terrain talo the cgi as much as i didn't like the cgi the images the cgi was going for still hit me yeah and there, there's like like i was saying earlier there's a definite attempt to evoke some of these these elements of Chinese cinema and Chinese stories within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so the mythical creatures that pop up in the movie as we get to Talo are inspired by Chinese mythology. Dragons are, I mean, Chinese, the Chinese have been putting dragons in stories since they have had civilization. Like, dragons have been an important part of their culture before <laughs> Europe even got there. So, obviously, there's some surface level elements too, but I, I do... I get how some people could think that this is the Marvel's attempt at an Asian Black Panther. Because although Black Panther, the character, did show up in a movie before he got his own, there I guess you can say that there's some similar similarities in that obviously you're going from the MCU, which is becoming more diverse but has largely had white stars, into a movie that is predominantly stars of the you know ethnicity and the culture on display. So Chinese-American, Canadian, or just Chinese-Taiwanese, whatever. Then you have the story of Shang-Chi kind of wrestling with his legacy, which, you know, Black Panther does as well, and he eventually comes into his own at the end of the movie, and he goes to a mythical land. Wakanda's not real, nor is Talo. Like, you can see how there are similarities, but I think it's fair to, to look at Marvel with a squint in your eye and say, what's what's this all about? Because Marvel is a money-making machine, Disney is as well, that is their end goal. In the same way, it is exciting to see this kind of representation happening in the MCU. Because not only do you get more incredible actors like Michelle Yeoh and Tony Lung, who we have not mentioned yet, but is, I mean, 
he is one of the most acclaimed actors of all time, and he is now in the MCU, <laughs> like playing a a a well-received character. Uh, and folks like Simulu and Aquafina as well, they are now integrated into the MCU. But you also, I mean, the reason representation matters is because yeah, you got to give kids like heroes that they can look up to and see themselves in. And so any kid can look at any hero and see a little bit of themselves in it. But for, you know, there's all these amazing stories coming out after Black Panther came out for young black kids being so excited about a superhero that looked like them. And now I, you started to see some of the same stories with Shang-Chi about young Asian American kids because, I mean, we're in America, so Asian-American, seeing these kids watch the movie and being so excited about a superheroes that looked like them, you know? And so that's what's that's what's exciting about this. It's, you know, it's not just Marvel making a quick buck off of cheap representation. There will, unfortunately, always be an element of that in Hollywood and in business, but the story of it all is also exciting, too. I'm still waiting for Marvel to, like, go to Machu Picchu, you know, Captain South America. <laughs> <laughs> we want Captain Peru. <laughs> Cast Chris, actually get Christian Abuse to write the screenplay for Captain Peru. It's such a terrible name. It's <laughs> <laughs> an awful name. All right. I never forget the Peru and Chile share Lake, Lake Titicaca. Ah, there it is. Now we gotta get the explicit tag. <laughs> I can say it. <laughs> Fair point. But I mean, Christian. Before we wrap too, too tight a bow on just the representation within this movie, is there anything else that you do feel a little bit cynical about or anything else that you feel optimistic about? Just do you want to, is there anything you would wanted to add on that I didn't touch, touch on? Honestly, I enjoyed the post credit scene. Unironically, the, it, it didn't just feel like an, not post credits, mid credit scene. The post credit scene was, was fine. <laughs> the mid credit scene, I, it, it felt for, for everyone who wanted the lore of the MCU to expand, which this doesn't do that much. But that mid-credit scene is there to be like, hey, there is something going on. Shang-Chi and Katie are going to be back in a different movie. And you have them standing side by side with Mark Ruffalo and Brie Larson. Um, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and Wong, of course, makes his Wong. return to the movie. Uh, and you have them there thinking, okay, cool. Marvel's actually trying to say that they want new blood in the avengers which in this i enjoyed i would love to see shang chi go on ahead with with so many different avenues and missions but i'm, I'm excited for what this means for the lore overall so before we wrap up our conversation speaking of shang chi what did you think of simulu himself as obviously this is the first time he is stepping into really a leading role, as obviously he's been a part of a sitcom, he's been a stuntman, he's had supporting roles, but this is his first big budget leading role. He's taken on the superhero who's going to be integrated into the MCU for years to come. How did you feel about his performance? He is an imposing figure, which is what Marvel needed and, and wanted. He poses very well. And I think that that's the thing. You can very easily make an action figure out of him. And I'm saying that for a specific reason. I remember a lot of what Simu's movements are, of how he fought, of his facial expressions. I'm not talking about his dramatic acting chops, which I don't think this was the best exhibition for him, not because of what he did, but because he was there to fight. And as a fighter, as a former stuntman, and as someone who can pose... I think it was very good. 
I, you, he did a lot of his own stunts from what I gathered on this movie and it, it is exciting to have an actor who's already trained in the art like the martial arts that he's attempting to do or can easily pick them up because he's yeah. experienced like seeing an MCU hero doing his own stunts in the fight scenes no not as much CGI around it it's, it's very exciting and I, I definitely love his presence as an action performer I think the movie itself didn't necessarily serve him always because I think a strength of the movie is the flashback, is the story and the, the family drama they're telling at the center of it. And I could probably talk for 10 more minutes that we don't have about that. But it means that he also spends, the character spends a lot of time as a child and a pre, or like a teenager. So those two younger actors also get plenty of screen time as opposed to Sima Liu, who, despite this being his ostensibly his debut film, has maybe a lower proportion of screen time than other characters in the MCU in their debut films because there's so much invested in these flashbacks. And so I, I will be curious to see how he fits in moving forward because, I mean, he gets to do a lot. He does all the normal stuff. Action, joking around with Aquafina, family drama, moments of seriousness, but... I want to see him in a Mission Impossible movie. <laughs> Mission Impossible movie? I also want to see him in a Wes Anderson movie. Oh my gosh. Just... All these disparate types of movies. And I think he should be in Knives Out 3. I can see that. They've already cast Knives Out 2. Yeah. He'd be fun on Knives Out 3. <laughs> <laughs> what, and then, what about the Aquafina of it all? Obviously, some people are... She is a person who can be one note, although she has the talent to not be. If you haven't seen The Farewell, watch The Farewell. It's incredible. But some people are starting to get sick of the Aquafina of it all. What are your thoughts there as with her supporting role? I think she came in and did what she was paid to do. I, I and I, I I honestly I'm not the biggest fan of the farewell, but I love her in the farewell. I like dramatic Aquafina. I, I, I feel like I've already seen comedic Aquafina. And though I, I loved it in Crazy Rich Asians, it it didn't feel like she was given much in this movie besides go in there and to make jokes and these are the jokes you're going to make. Yeah, I, I, w I will say I liked her comedic presence in this movie because I don't think it wears out its welcome and they do give her a little bit more That's to true. do. I, w I was never tired that she was there. Right. Because she's on the side and not the lead, like it doesn't it doesn't wear out its welcome and she does get to do to partake in the action a little bit as well, especially as the movie goes on, which I think she, using some of that, that more dramatic side of her, of her um, talent, it comes into play and definitely works a little bit better. Tony Lung, I'm a huge fan. So I was listening to a podcast on the way over that referred to him as the best MCU villain thus far. He's certainly... No. <laughs> no. Okay, Christian. No. Welcome to your pedestal. Uh, no. <laughs> I think your your extreme negative reaction is perhaps overdone, but <laughs> please speak on it. He's not a villain. What? He's an anti-hero. What? Oh, boy. Uh, we're going to get into semantics? <laughs> I want someone who's evil. I want someone who is ready to kill children. Okay? Goodness. Tony Lung's not killing any children. You know who killed children? Hella. Oh my gosh. Ultron would kill children. Ult yeah, Ultron probably did, technically. <laughs> Shout out to Sokovia. <laughs> okay, goodness. even if you don't want to call him a villain, you want to you want to fart around and call him an anti-hero, what did you think of the character? Because he's been very well received, and I think for a lot of the... The film critics who are growing weary of the MCU, people who don't always enjoy these films, they enjoyed him in it because he's such a beloved actor and has, and his talents are, are not wasted here. So what did you think? I think he's very good. I, I don't think his talents are wasted. Believe it or not, my criticism of his character isn't a criticism of him. It's just that 
I think we needed to spend more time with his character. I think we needed to spend more time with Wen Wu for, for him to be more fleshed out, and we get great flashback scenes. I mean, this movie does start with a, a long flashback sequence that kind of builds up his legend, and it's it features him, of course, meeting the future mother but, but his it's, children. It's largely Shang-Chi's movie, and right. Shang-Chi yeah. is the title character. Yeah. I feel like if we had gotten equal screen time between Shang-Chi and Wen Wu, I would have been much more favorable to it. At, at this point, it's like we have this great actor who is doing a ton and yet I'm not seeing him enough for the like immensity of what it means to be the 10 rings ruler over thousands of years to come through. Yeah. And in many ways I'm with you there and I do wish that we would have, we could have gotten more of him because there are large swaths of the movie where he just disappears. Yeah. And we, the 10 rings do not show up. And so he is an excellent part of this movie. And I will say a movie that I watched partially inspired by Shang-Chi because he is in it and it is a wuxia film is Hero, which I watched on HBO Max. Not sure if it's still there, but it is incredible. And he, he is a supporting character in that movie. Jet Li is the star. But if you're looking for more of this type of action, this type of fighting that's a little bit more pure and uncut than, than the Marvel version, Hero is an incredible option. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Christian mentioned, also a very good option. And I, I will say, like, I just want to fit this in because I meant to say it earlier while we're talking about action, but the part that I do love the most about the action, I mentioned a little bit last week with Black Widow, and that they are trying to let the action breathe a little bit more, let the stunt performers do their thing, not cut as rapidly, and Shang-Chi ramped that up. They turned the dial, and there's so much more about the fight scenes in this movie where it is stunt performers actually doing their thing. The camera is following them, moving with them, and not just rapidly cutting. And that, to me, is what I want from action, especially in these Marvel movies. I want them to just improve how they cut and edit their movies. And so that is something that I loved about this. wanted to make sure I fit it in. Uh, I, think, I think, too, just the, the, the slower editing pace also fits in with the family drama and the flashbacks. Like, I, I don't know. I think it all goes together. So that's just one more thing I wanted to mention about this movie. Christian, any final thoughts on Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings? will be streaming on Disney Plus when you hear this recording. That's right, folks. It is available to you if you are a Disney Plus subscriber, so do check it out for sure if you haven't seen it yet. comes well recommended by me, uh, slightly less so, but still recommended by Christian. And, of course, we would be ashamed if we uh, spoil this for you. So if you're here but you still haven't seen it, I guess good on you but still go watch it. Also, shout out to Ben Kingsley, showing up the King Ben. That's <laughs> Trevor Slattery. He, we didn't get to him, but he's hilarious in this movie. I was quite a, quite a fan. <laughs> okay. As always, Marvel 2021 is here. We're talking about it all through the month of November. Last week was Black Widow. We'd encourage you to check that out if you have not already. Shang-Chi is now and it's on Disney+. Plus. But Christian, of course, next week, Eternals. It's time to talk Eternals. We will have to... It's in theaters. Wait. <laughs> we'll have to wait to reveal our hearts upon it to each other. But, yes, it is in theaters. If you have not yet seen it, we would encourage you to go do so. There's if you... a sex scene in Eternals. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> I sat down. I sat down to watch it with my wife and my brother, and we looked down the aisle, and there's a family there, and the kid with them looked to be... Younger than 10, I will say. Maybe in that 8 to 11 range, I just couldn't tell. And me and my brother were like, can't wait for that scene to happen. And then it did, and we were checking, we were making sure that, I don't know, I hope maybe the parents covered the eyes, or they're just letting them learn. I don't know. <laughs> don't worry, folks, it's a PG-13 scene. But yes, it is in theaters. 
If you feel safe going to movie theaters and you are comfortable doing that, we would strongly encourage you to do so to go check out the latest and greatest in the MCU. Honestly, watch it at a Dolby theater or an IMAX. I, I'm 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 gonna say that I I I I didn't, <laughs> and I feel like I should have. I saw it on an XD screen at Cinemark. Oh frick! And without telling you my opinions or feelings on the movie, the experience was delightful. I forgot how giant those screens are, and it made me smile. XD is is big. Shout out to the XD screen. The good people at Cinemark. I'm asking for them to sponsor the show, and and you know maybe maybe one day. <laughs> but Eternals is coming next week. We have some more fun stuff coming for after that too. So stick around if you're a Marvel fan. We got good things coming here on the Cinematrip Podcast. Of course, if you have reached this part in the show, we thank you so much for listening. Christian and I love watching these movies and discussing them and sharing our discussions with you, and so it just means a lot that there are folks out there supporting us and supporting the show. And speaking of supporting the show, there are a few things that you can do that would help us. Number one, give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We do appreciate when those five-star reviews come in and love to read those reviews on the show. Also, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts as it helps us grow and reach new listeners. And hey, why don't you share this episode if you liked it? There you go. There's a cha- little challenge for you. If you follow me on Instagram, I've been sharing some great Instagram stories of me trying different Starbucks holiday drinks and then saying that we have an episode this week. Ooh, get that good juicy content from Christian's Instagram. You can also follow <laughs> me on Twitter and the show on Twitter as well. We're trying to throw some questions out there, get people talking about the MCU. So give us a follow. We'd love it if you engaged. Our guy, Paul Gonzalez, he's always on it with the Twitter. We appreciate it, Paul. We know you're following us out there. You rock. You also can please send us an email at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com where we are regularly checking that to see any feedback from you. And of course, we have used feedback on the show. We've read emails on the show. So we do love any thoughts or ideas that you have for us. We would appreciate it. And especially as we're talking Marvel all month in the month of November, we'd love to know your thoughts on the Marvel movies that have come out so far this year. If you think one of them was trash, we'd love to know it. If you think one of them is underrated and worthy of love, we'd love to know it. And hey, we will shout you out on the show if you write that in. So, cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. Christian, I think I touched on all the things. So, any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home? No. But... I have ranked all of the movies that we have seen, and I have a list from 1 to 34. Um, Dune currently sitting between the 32 and 34 range. I'm going to vomit. 1 to 34, meaning the movies we've covered on the show this year? Yes. And Dune is 33? Yes. What's 34? The Illusionist. So Tom and Jerry is 32? <laughs> Tom and Jerry is 32. Folks, if you are religious or the praying type, I urge you to pray for Christian. His his brain, it's it's broken. It does not work. I can't believe this revelation came at the end of the show because now Christian and I have to go fight. But check out The Eternals. We're talking about it next week. And until next time, this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast.